Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. It's a privilege for me to introduce someone that I've only heard speak once, and it was at the grand opening of a psychology cafe with Dr. Uh, Robbie uh, Sonderegger. I can't pronounce his name all the time. Did I get that right? And, uh, okay, is one of his son-in-laws, uh, sorry, brother-in-law, brother, former brother-in-law's here, so got it right. Um, and uh, it was at the Psychology Cafe, and uh, Daniel Pappas was invited to pray at the grand opening of that, and he gave a story that I'll never forget about the uh, Sydney Harbor Bridge and how they built that uh, with capacity that was excess before they actually, they only had a few cars, I forget how many, two or something, but, you know, they built it with a vision to go forward, and it really impressed me. And, and since uh, uh, that time, I've gotten to know uh, Pastor uh, Dan- Daniel and Elise, his beautiful wife. They've got two amazing children, Jonathan, who's seven, and then Sophie, who is uh, two years old. And, and something, uh, if you want to know about a person, look at their family, look at you know how they treat their kids and how they, how they uh, treat their wife in particular as well. And I can honestly say they've been through some hardships. They've, uh, they've come through some storms, but they're still serving God. They still love God with all their heart. Been in ministry 14 years, hard to believe, but uh, amazing man of God coming to share the word of God with us this morning. We are blessed. I want you to stand up. Come on, let's give a city church round of applause. My faith, come on up here, Dan. We love you. Thank you. That's very kind. You can take your seats. Thank you, worship team. Well done this morning. Good. Give a round of applause. You know, how you start is incredibly important. In a, uh, in a sports game, really, in the first 10 to 15 minutes, you can determine the momentum of that match just based on how you start. Uh, in a 100-meter in a sprint, it's actually the first 10 steps that are the most important steps in the entire race. Because from those first 10 steps, you're really determining what's going to happen at the end of those next 90 meters or so. And so um, it's a real privilege to be able to be preaching today. I think whenever you get the chance to be able to preach God's word, I think that's always a tremendous privilege. But especially today to be preaching at City Church. This is my first time here, but to be able to be preaching in a church where the founding pastors are still pastoring is an incredible thing. And it's something that shouldn't be lost on us because literally this church wouldn't exist unless it first originated in God's heart and it became a vision of this couple 32 years ago. This wouldn't be here. This building would be something else. It'd be used for some other business. Uh, There'd be people here who you would never have stumbled into a church, but you happen to come to this church. There are lives that have been turned around families that have been changed, eternities that have been changed because of a couple who were obedient to start something. It's easy to take something on, but to start something from scratch, to be at the very start of the 100-meter sprint and to get the first 10 steps right, right? To be in the start of the game and to make sure the momentum is moving in the right direction so the rest of the game goes well as well is a really impressive thing. And so I just wonder if we might take a moment just to put our hands together for your pastors who started something that we all get to enjoy now, right? That's a good thing. Um, Elise is not here today. We had every intention, because we don't live that far from here, 
uh, of actually being here as a family this morning, but Sophie, our little girl, has been sick the last couple of days. Nothing serious, but now it's like socially unacceptable to leave the house if you're coughing or if there's a runny nose. A year ago, we would have just left the house anyway, but now if you cough or sneeze at the wrong time, in the wrong line, that's just, that's socially unacceptable. And so uh, they're not here this morning, but Elise sends her love as well. Um, Elise actually wrote a book. I'm going to mention this now because I'll forget it later. Um, but Elise wrote a book last November that I'm incredibly proud of. I literally had nothing to do with this um, other than I got to appear in some of the chapters. Um, but Elise wrote this book. It was released in November last year. And to be honest, we're kind of amazed at what God's already done with it. Um, we've sold over 500 copies of this since November, uh, which is actually slightly more than Kevin Rudd sold of his autobiography. <laughs> kind of interesting. And so uh, Elisa sold 500 copies of this book. And if you've got a promise from God that is still unmet, then, then this is actually a book for you. This will encourage you on that journey. In six months, Elise had cancer removed from her body without realizing that she had it. It was a miracle we didn't know we needed. When Elise had cancer, we didn't know about it. And when she didn't have cancer, we did know about it. It's kind of a strange thing. A week after that, we got given a brand new car. In fact, in six months, Elise had cancer removed. We got given two brand new cars. We sold a house that wasn't on the market, and we fell pregnant with a miraculous little girl after five recurrent miscarriages. And this book is actually the convictions that God worked into our soul over that period of time. And, and so, I, like I said, if you've got a promise from God that's unmet, then this will encourage you. Um, we didn't hold back on what God spoke to us about. We didn't hold back on putting scriptures in here. In fact, one of the most rewarding things in this whole process has been the feedback from people who aren't Christians. Because when our publisher was originally, uh, was originally talking to us about it, they said, you know, we'll get into Kurong, but we'll also get it onto Amazon. It'll be in Barnes & Noble. It'll be available around the world. And we thought, yeah, that, what that really means is there'll be a few copies hidden somewhere in Australia. And if someone orders one from somewhere else, then like they'll arrive three months later. But on the first weekend that the book was released, we got feedback from people in the UK and in Canada who had bought the book, and the next day it arrived from Amazon. So I don't know where Amazon has these things hidden, but they're somewhere out there, right? And they're going places that, because of COVID, we haven't been able to go yet. But the feedback from non-Christians has probably been the most exciting thing, where people have said, you've got to read the prayer in the back, and handing it to a co-worker and saying, and at least receiving letters back saying, what's that prayer thing at the end of that? and those scriptures you talked about. And so uh, these are available after the service. There's a few of them that are here today. They're $20. They'll be a great encouragement to you. And so uh, we're going to pray this morning, and then we're going to begin. Is that cool? Yeah. Yeah. God, we just thank you for your word. Lord, I pray today that you would help me to be able to preach it. Lord, I pray that today our ears would be open. God, more than that, our heart would be open to hear. That, God, we might leave this place different people because we spent time in your presence in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 If you turn your Bible to Isaiah chapter 43, Isaiah chapter 43, we're going to read two verses today. Isaiah 43 and verse 18. Isaiah 43 and verse 18. This is what the Bible says. Moreover, this is what God says. Listen to these words. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See... I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Forget the former things. 
and don't spend any more time dwelling on the past. God says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Even right now, it begins to sprout. Even right now, it begins to spring up. Do you not perceive it? I'm the God who can make a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland, streams where there's a desert. I want to speak to us this morning from this subject. Behold, I do a new thing. You know, some people spend their entire lives through the lens of the old thing. Some people live their entire experience that way. That they're always focused on the old thing. Well, I remember the way things used to be. They were just so much better. And I remember the songs that we used to sing. And I, they, was just, they were just more anointed. And, and I remember the way that this relationship used to work. And, and it was much better then. And, and some people spend their entire life focused on the old thing. But here's the problem when you do that. When you spend your entire life focused on the old thing. Have you ever noticed that things were never as good as you actually remember they were? Have you ever noticed how you're always the hero in all the stories that you tell? Which isn't always necessarily accurate. Things are never as good as you remember them to be. But equally, things were actually never as bad as you remember them either. Sometimes Elise will say to me, she said, you know, I wish it was like when we were dating. And, and you'd stop at the red light and you'd be so captivated by me that, that you wouldn't even see the light go green. We'd be sitting there for minutes. Sometimes it'd be three or four green lights and you'd miss them all. And after a reminder, Elise, we're not living in the past. We're making brand new memories today. Some people live their whole lives like that. They live their whole life through the lens of the old thing. Some people don't live their life that way. They live their life through the lens of the same thing. Winston Churchill said that life is just one damn thing after the next. And some people live their life that way. Just the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Just the same thing over and over and over. You know, I can't complain. Things aren't too bad. I guess this is just my lot in life. You know, this is how it was for my dad and for his dad before him and his dad before him. And so this is just, this is just how I am. They're the kind of people that you could leave for 10 years and come back and they'd still be having the exact same conversations. They'd still be complaining about the exact same things they were complaining about 10 years ago because they're not living their life through the lens of the old thing. They're actually just living their life through the lens of the same thing over and over and over again. Sometimes even we dress it up to make it sound like it's spiritual. We, we try and even make it sound like it's faith. Like, you know, it's God's will, then I guess it'll just happen. But, but whenever you treat your life like it's a billiard ball on the table of life being shuddered about by some mystical or cosmic force, that's not faith. That's called fatalism. Yeah, wow. So some people live their life through the lens of the, the old thing. Some people live their life through the lens of just the same thing over and over again. Some people, they're not living through the lens of the old or the same. They're living through the, the prism of the next. They're, they're the hustler. They're always looking for how they can incrementally move their life forward and trying to find the ladder and, and climb it at any cost. And, and they're just looking for a way to be able to move things forward. And whilst it's not a bad thing to have a desire to move things forward, I've found that God is not a God stuck in the old thing. He might have been there, but he's not confined to it. Yeah. He's not the God even of the same thing. He's not even a God of the incremental next thing. He's actually the God of the brand new thing. That one of the things you have to understand about God is that fundamental to his nature is that he is a God who brings the unexpected into reality. That he's the God who is the God of new things. That's why Jesus doesn't administer the next covenant. He administers the new covenant because God is a God of new things. 
2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, Paul says, For anyone who is in Christ, they are a brand new creation. Why? Because God doesn't make us a slightly better version of our old self. No, he makes us a brand new creation altogether. You and I, we give out second chances to people, but God doesn't do that. He gives them a brand new beginning because by his definition, God is a God who can bring the unexpected into reality, which means he is always generating new things. Think about this. God is so into new things that sometimes the new things don't know they're new things until he calls them by name. You think about when God created light, light did not know that it was light until God had called it light. Imagine when God is there at the beginning to, to be able to create and there's a whole bunch of jars on a shelf and God says, let there be light and the jars start talking to each other like, are you light or am I light? Because light has not been before so light doesn't even know that it's light until God calls it light. Because God is so by his nature a God of new things that he's able to bring the unexpected out of reality to make something new where there was something that was old. And so Isaiah 43, God says, forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. What is the new thing that God wants to do in you? What's the new thing that God wants to do in your marriage? What is the new thing that God has always intended for your family? What's the new thing for City Church? That maybe you haven't even thought of yet. Maybe you haven't even perceived yet. But God is already in the business of doing it. Forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. It's a new thing that brings innovation. It's the new thing that challenges the status quo. It's the new thing that actually brings the unexpected into reality. Henry Ford was once asked, the founder of the Ford Motor Group, why motor cars? And his response was classic to the reporters who had asked him the question. He said, you know, if I'd asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Yeah. <laughs> when the whole world was trying to come up with new ways of transport, create faster carts and breed faster horses, Henry Ford was one person who wasn't focused on the old thing, the same thing, or even the next thing. He was dreaming of a brand new thing to solve an age-old problem of transportation. Pastor Ed mentioned this just a minute ago, but a few years ago, Elise and I uh, climbed the Sydney Harbour Bridge, which if you ever get the chance to do it, you should absolutely do it. it is, it's amazing. And, and as we're climbing the, the bridge, the, the guy who's taking us for the tour is, is telling us different facts about the bridge and different things. And one of the things that really stood out to me is that when the bridge was started in 1924, it wasn't finished until 1932, but when it was started in 1924, they were actually building, and it is still to this day, the largest bridge of its kind in the world. It's not the longest, but in overall size, it's still the largest because it's so broad. It's 12 lanes. And so when they began construction in 1924 on what is still today the largest bridge of its kind in the world, there were exactly six registered cars in New South Wales. <laughs> For the longest time, they didn't put any lines on the bridge because it was literally impossible to hit another vehicle. <laughs> After the longest time, they, they painted one dotted line down the middle of the bridge so they knew which traffic was going north and which was going south. Wow. Today, there's 12 lanes and 180,000 cars pass over it every single day. What is that? That's people in 1924 who aren't looking to the old thing, the same thing, or even just to the next thing. They're dreaming of something brand new. There'll be a blessing a long time from now, but we've got a dream like that in this moment. So God, by his nature is a God of new things who brings the unexpected into reality, that challenges the status quo. And so I want to speak to us this morning 
about how to possess a new God thing. If there's something that God wants to do that's new, then, then how do you and I possess that thing that God has for us? Here's the first thing you've got to do. You've got to change your focus. What does the scripture say in verse 18? It says, forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. If you're ever going to possess a new thing in God, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to forget the former things, which means this, you cannot allow past victories to sustain you. As good as those things are, and as amazing as what God did then, you know, sometimes the most dangerous place you can ever be is just after God's answer to prayer. You can't allow past victories to sustain you. But when God is speaking to the prophet Isaiah, Israel has seen God do some amazing things. I mean, Israel was delivered after 400 years of slavery out of Egypt. I mean, Israel had seen the sea part and they'd walk through on dry ground. They'd seen God lead them as a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. They'd seen God provide for them in the desert. I mean, they had seen God go before them in the promised land. And as they took over 32 kingdoms, it was amazing to see what God had done. But when Isaiah is prophesying here, all of those things are in the past. And right now that they're stuck in captivity and all those past victories are doing absolutely nothing to liberate them. I mean, they were good, what God had done. But today, we're in captivity. And so whilst it's great to celebrate what God's done, the real question is not what has God done. The real question is, what is God doing right now? You can't allow past victories to sustain you, but equally, you can't allow past failures to possess you either. Because when you allow past failures to possess you, you end up settling for a lifetime in what God only ever intended to be a season. You know, when we meet Abraham in Genesis, we're not introduced to Abraham directly. We're actually introduced to him through his father. In Genesis chapter 11 and verse 31, I'll read it to you. Abraham's father was a guy called Terah. Terah, verse 31 of Genesis 11, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. The Terah actually has three sons and Haran is one of them. Haran dies. That's Lot's father. And, and the indication of the Bible is, is actually that perhaps the, the call to go from Ur of the Chaldeans to the land of Canaan wasn't first to Abraham. It was actually to his father Terah, but Terah only made it halfway. Wow. If you look at it on a map, literally halfway between Ur of the Chaldeans and the land of Canaan is this place called Haran. It's the place named after Terah's dead son. He's halfway in his journey and he comes to this place that is filled with memories. Because he sees that field and he remembers how he taught his son to run. And he sees the tree and he reminds him of how he taught his son to climb a tree. And he sees the field and he remembers that's where he taught his son to hunt with a bow. And the land is so filled with memories, Terah can't bring himself to leave that place. And so he settles there. One of the most dangerous things you can ever do in your walk of faith is settle. I would love to tell you that in your life you get what you believe for. But that's not true. Ultimately, you get what you settle for. When you say, I'm not settling for this any longer, you've just crossed a threshold of faith that God could do something with. And so if you're ever going to possess a new God thing, you've, you've got to change your focus. You've got to forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. Here's the second thing you've got to do. You've got to begin to make preparations. 
Verse 19 says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. That word spring can also be translated as sprout. It means to literally just begin to break the surface. God says, forget those former things. But see, I'm doing a new thing. Even right now, it begins to sprout. How foolish would it be for a farmer to go and plant seed in the ground and then to go back into the farmhouse and lament what he's lost? Of course, the farmer doesn't do that. Because the farmer understands that just because I can't see it doesn't mean God's not doing anything. Just because I can't see it doesn't mean that God is absent in this whole thing. It just means I can't see it yet. There is something happening under the surface there that's outside of my line of vision. But even now, it'll begin to break the surface. Even right now, it's beginning to germinate. Even right now, it's going to break through. So God says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Even now, it begins to sprout. The farmer doesn't go into the farmhouse and start lamenting what they've lost. Because to the untrained eye, it actually looks to the farmer like he's worse off. He had something and now he's given it all away and it's gone out of sight. But the farmer knows well enough. He he doesn't go into the farmhouse. He goes actually into the shed. And he begins to sharpen the tools for harvest. Because he knows in some time coming, I need to make preparations now for what's going to happen. So what you've got to understand is that the new thing that God wants to do Because there is a new thing that God wants to do. You think you've seen everything God wants to do? Really? You haven't even scratched the surface of what it is God wants to do in your life. And so the new thing that God does is totally at his initiative. But it requires you and I to be prepared for it. I'm not telling you something that I read in a book. I'm telling you something that Elise and I had to live. That's worked so deeply into our soul that you couldn't remove it even if you tried. You couldn't reason me out of it even if you wanted to. Have you ever been in a place in your life where on one hand you're seeing God do amazing things and everybody's celebrating that, but at the exact same time in another area of your life, it feels like, God, where are you? What are you doing? We moved to the Sunshine Coast a bit over six years ago, January 2015. Elise and I and our little boy Jonathan, who was six months old, we didn't actually realize how much of a miracle Jonathan was. But we realize now how much of a miracle he was because Elise had had a surgery. She'd been diagnosed with endometriosis. And we were told it would be really difficult to have children. And we had Jonathan without any trouble at all. And so we believed God had healed Elise, that that was actually not going to be an issue at all. We moved to the Sunshine Coast and we started leading the church. And we were on the first youth camp. And on the last day of the youth camp, uh, we just found out we were pregnant. Um, Jonathan was, was almost one. We just found out we were pregnant again. And... And in the last day of the youth camp, Elise is like, something just doesn't feel right. And I'm scheduled to fly north to do the next camp. And I said to her, look, if, if you're not feeling well, I'll just stay. I'll just tell the guys to organize it without me. She said, no, 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 that's what we've planned. You go. And so I flew to Townsville. I drove to Mission Beach three hours. I get there. I'm there for literally 10 minutes. And Elise is like, can you please come home? So I see all the guys. I'm like, youth camp looks like it's going to be great. Have a good time. I get back into the car, drive, fly home. And we have our first miscarriage. We'd never had a miscarriage. In fact, no one in our family had ever had a miscarriage. And the irony was that we're looking after everybody else's children and losing our own. That happens to us another four times over the next five years. And at the same time, the church is going amazingly well. And people are celebrating, saying, man, God's hand's really on you guys. Man, it's really incredible to see what God's doing. And yet, at the same time, what no one else knew is that there was another area of our life where we're like, God, we can see you in one area, but Lord, what is happening in this one? 
No one in our church knew about it because you don't bleed on the sheep, so, so no one knew. And so people would come up and they'd say all different kinds of things, which gives us an appreciation now as pastors. They're like, hey, Jonathan's getting older. And we'd, we'd say to ourselves privately, man, if only they knew. Yeah. Wow. We ended up seeing a guy who was the founder of the Queensland Fertility Group. We weren't even supposed to see him. It's kind of miraculous that we ever saw him. We ended up seeing him in the middle of that whole journey. We had a promise. In fact, God had shown my wife a vision of a little girl. In fact, we felt like God had given us her name. And so we didn't know what else to do, but we wanted to respond in faith. Because faith, you understand, is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. That's what Hebrews says. Faith is, so, so faith is always acting, right? As if something's come to pass, which is yet still seems completely impossible. That's what faith does. So, so faith will cause you to buy the suit, even though you haven't been given the call back to the interview yet, right? Faith will cause you, you know, to, to price up the warehouse, even though you haven't started the business yet. Right? Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Faith will cause you to book the restaurant even though you haven't asked the girl out yet. Because that's what faith does. Faith begins to respond and prepare even before that thing looks like it's going to happen. And so we wanted to respond in faith. And so we bought a bedroom sign. A gold brass sign with Sophie's name on it. And every time we had a miscarriage, we'd take the sign out and say, God, you promised. We had pastors and leaders, people that we really trusted who came to us and said, you know what? Maybe you guys should just be happy with the son that God's given you. Maybe you guys should look at adoption. And for all of them, we said exactly the same thing. We said we would do exactly what you're saying, except we cannot shake the fact that we feel like God has given us a promise of this little girl. We had friends who were in South Africa who'd called us and said, God has shown us a vision of your family with a little girl. In fact, God has said her name means wisdom. We called them back and we said, did God say that her name means wisdom or did God actually give you her name? So actually, God gave us her name, but we were too embarrassed to tell you. Sophie means wisdom. So we go to see the founder of the Queensland Fertility Group, and he says to us, look, with all of your church travel and stuff, there's really one shot here for us to be able to try IVF before I retire, and then I'd have to hand you on to somebody else. And so we're preparing to go and see him. We're about three weeks out from seeing him. And, and one morning, Elise wakes up, and she says, I think I'm pregnant. And so we go to see him at the Watkins Medical Center in Brisbane. And he says, look, uh, there's only one way to really be able to tell. I'll do a scan right now, and we'll do a blood test. I'll never forget this. This happens in 10 minutes in his office. He, he, he's scanning Elisa's stomach, and he says, guys, I'm really sorry, but I'm actually going to wreck your afternoon. You're actually not pregnant. He shows us on the screen. He says, there's a sack. You can see that there. But there's no baby inside it. So all of your at-home tests, they'll all come back positive. All your hormones are inflated. There's actually no baby inside there. It's like a phantom pregnancy. Elise bursts into tears and she says, no, you're wrong. You have to rescan me. This is the founder of the Queensland Fertility Group. <laughs> this is all he has done for his professional career of 40 years. He has 300 doctors that relate to him and ask him what to do, right? But he's got a crying woman in his office, so he's like, all right. So he gets the stuff back out and he starts rescanning her. He says, guys, I'm so sorry. There's your baby. There's the heartbeat. And we heard Sophie's heartbeat for the first time. Wow. We went for the 20-week scan, and with Jonathan, we didn't find out what we were having. We wanted it to be a surprise. But this time, we wanted to find out, because we wanted to know, is this the child that God's promised, or is there still another one that's coming? And so the guy's doing the 20-week scan. He says, do you want to know what you're having? And we're like, yeah, we want to know. And so he's scanning, and he says, you're having a little girl. Well, we burst into tears. He says, I'm so sorry. You're hoping for a little boy. <laughs> We tell him the story. 
he actually can't finish the rest of the scan. He has to call for somebody else because he's crying and now can't see the screen. <laughs> and on Easter Sunday in 2019, Sophie was born. I'm not telling you something that we read in a book. I'm telling you something we had to live. If you're ever going to possess something you and God, if you're ever going to claim a promise or a word that God has given you, then one of the things you've got to do is you've got to begin to make preparations for it. God was setting about to do a new thing in Genesis when he was going to, for the very first time, bring water from the sky. And so he spoke to a man called Noah. And he said to Noah, I want you to build an ark. Can you imagine what that was like when Noah disclosed that to his wife? Noah comes downstairs, starts talking to his wife for the morning. Hey, honey, how's your day? It's good. Doing your devotions? God speak to you about anything? Oh, yeah, he talked to me about one thing. That's awesome, honey. What was it? What did God say to you? Uh, he, wants me to, um, he wants me to build an ark. That's awesome, honey. What's, what's an ark? Uh, it's like a giant boat made out of gopher wood. <laughs> That's awesome, honey. Why would we need a giant boat? We live in the middle of the desert. Because uh, God said it's going to like rune or like run or rain. Rain, I think is what he called it. <laughs> That's awesome, honey. What's rain? Uh, it's water from the sky. Takes Noah 120 years to build the ark on just one word from God. He's not building it on his own. He's building it with his three sons. Can you imagine what that was like? Dad, I don't want to build the ark this weekend. Boys, well, you're 55 years old and living under this roof, you will build this ark with me. Takes him 120 years to build the ark. Then all the animals go on. God closes the door. And seven days later, the rain comes. This makes me wonder, was it just that Noah happened to finish the ark in time before the rain came? Or that God wouldn't allow the rain to come until Noah had finished the ark? Like if Noah had taken 140 years, would God have kept the rain from coming? Or if Noah would have built the ark in 90 years, would God have made the rain come sooner? Which makes me wonder something else. What is it that you and I have delayed God from doing because we actually haven't been diligent enough to prepare for it? Here's the third thing you've got to do if you're going to possess a new thing in God. You've got to open your heart. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Even now it begins to sprout. Do you not perceive it? That word perceive is the same word that can be translated as no. But it doesn't mean no in terms of the academic sense of knowing something. It means knowing as in giving yourself completely and totally to this thing. You know, like where the Bible says that Adam knew Eve and they conceived and bore a child. There was more going on in that knowing than just getting to know each other, right? Adam knew Eve, they conceived and bore a child. You're following me here, right? And so in the same way, God says, do not perceive it. In other words... Will you give yourself unreservedly to it? God was setting about to do a new thing when he was setting about to bring his son to earth. And so he sent an angel to speak to a girl called Mary. Immaculate conception, that was a new thing. No one had ever seen that before. That was just something new that God had cooked up. And so he sends the angel to Mary. And this is what Luke 1 verse 34, this is what it says. It says, Mary said to the angel, how will this even happen? I've never even had a man. And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will cover you and the holy child you give birth to will be called the Son of God. 
see your cousin Elizabeth, as old as she is, is going to give birth to a child. She was not able to have children before, but now she is in her sixth month. For God can do all things. Verse 38, then Mary said, I am willing to be used of the Lord. Let it happen to me as you have said. And then the angel went away from her. When you read that passage, you realize that Mary's not jumping into this blindly. She's got her own questions like, how is this even going to happen? Mary understands she's living in an honor-shame society. So like at best, her and her son will grow up and and they'll grow up in shame in this society. And at worst, she'll be killed before she ever gets full term in this pregnancy. She knows exactly the implications. This is not her reputation that's on the line. This is her entire life is on the line here. And yet she says, you know what? I don't understand everything that's going on here. I don't understand the biology of how you're going to do all of this. But but you know what? I have this sense that God, you're in it. And so God, let it be to me according to your word. To come to that place of surrender and say, do you know what? I don't understand everything you're doing here, God. But God, I sense that you're in this. And so God, I'm going to surrender my will. I'm going to surrender my rights. I'm going to surrender my desires because God, if you're in this, then I don't want to go anywhere else. Lord, I'll go anywhere if you're in it and I'll go absolutely nowhere if you're not. And so if you're ever going to possess a new thing in God, you've got to change your focus. You've got to begin to make preparations in faith. You've got to begin to open your heart and give yourself fully. But here's the last thing you've got to do. Just as the worship team comes back, here's the last thing you've got to do. The new thing that God wants to do in your life requires you to have a fresh revelation of who God is. Joshua chapter 5 and verse 13, this is what the Bible says. It says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and he said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And so he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and he worshiped. And he said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. This to me is one of the most fascinating parts in the Old Testament. Because Joshua is just about to take Jericho. Jericho is the largest and the most fortified city of the promised land. God is making a statement with this very first place. The historians tell us that the walls of Jericho were so vast and so broad that there is historical accounts of the people of Jericho racing chariots two by two around the top of the walls of Jericho. And God takes them to the largest and the most fortified city first because there's going to be 32 of these cities to take, but God is going to make a statement with the first one. So Joshua has taken the people and they've crossed over the Jordan River and, and now they're encamped. And it's the night before they're going to go and try and take Jericho. And and Joshua's coming up with his plans. He's devising his own strategy. And in the middle of his planning operation, all of a sudden, the captain of the Lord's host walks into the room and Joshua doesn't recognize him. Joshua reaches for his sword and he says, are you for me or are you for us? Are you for our adversaries? Because Joshua doesn't know who this is. And the captain of the Lord's host says to him, I'm not with you or with your enemy, but this is the plan. He encourages Joshua to worship. Joshua takes off his sandals and he bows down and he begins to worship. In the Old Testament, there were pre-incarnate appearances of Christ. In theology, we call them Christophanies. This is one of those moments. How do we know that this is actually a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ? And not just some angel that had appeared. But one of the ways we know is because Joshua bows down and worship. If this was just an angel, an angel would stop Joshua immediately. 
angels have like a pretty good reminder of what happens when angels want to receive worship. They remember Lucifer was thrown out of heaven because he wanted to. So if anyone ever bowed down to try and worship an angel, an angel would be like, whoa, you need to stand right back up. That is very dangerous for my occupation. And yet the captain of the Lord's host doesn't discourage Joshua. He encourages him to worship. And then the captain of the Lord's host gives Joshua the plan of how they will walk around the city in silence. Once every day for six days and on the seventh day, seven times on that seventh day. And then when the trumpets are blown, they will shout and the walls will come down. And what's most amazing to me is that of all the people alive on the planet, nobody knew God more than Joshua. And yet here is God standing right in front of Joshua. And Joshua can't recognize him. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, nobody knew God like Joshua did. Joshua was one of only two people alive on the planet who had seen God deliver them out of Egypt. I mean, only he and Caleb had seen that. Everybody else had died out. He he had seen God lead them as a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. He had seen God provide for them miraculously with manna in the desert. I mean, he had seen God do all the plagues in Egypt. He had seen God in miraculous ways. In fact, he knew God's presence more than anyone. The Bible says that when Moses would go into the tent of meeting to literally meet with God, that Joshua would follow him in. And when Moses had to leave to attend to the needs of the people, that Joshua would stay behind after Afterwards, to be able to spend more time in God's presence because he didn't yet have the responsibilities of leading the people. When Moses would go up the mountain to meet with God, the person who would meet him halfway, remember who that was? It was Joshua. When Moses is coming down the mountain after meeting with God, holding the tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments, who's the person who meets him halfway and walks the rest of the journey with him? It's Joshua. Nobody knew God. Nobody knew God's presence more than Joshua. And yet here is Joshua standing face to face with God and he doesn't even recognize him. Why? Because God had revealed himself in a way that Joshua had never seen before. Because he was asking Israel to do something they'd never done before. Israel had never had to pick up swords and fight in their history. But tomorrow they're going to have to do something they've never done before so God reveals himself in a way he's never revealed himself before. They're going to have to pick up swords so God reveals himself as the captain of the Lord's host. If God had revealed himself as a provider, Joshua would have recognized him. He'd seen God provide in the desert. If God had revealed himself as a healer, then Joshua would have recognized him. He'd seen God heal But God reveals himself in a new way because he's asking Joshua and Israel to do something new. If you're ever going to possess something new in God, it's actually going to begin with a fresh revelation of who God is. You know, really, I came here just to do one thing today, just to try and stir you up, just to try and encourage you not to settle, just to try and get you to lift your eyes and begin to look again at what it is that God's doing. You think you've seen everything that God wants to do? You haven't even seen the smallest amount of it. You couldn't even begin to fathom all that God intends for you. You can't even begin to dream of what it is God will do through your life. Your great-grandkids, you have no idea. But that actually begins right now. Beginning to possess the new thing that God wants to do. Would you stand to your feet just this morning? I'd love to pray for you. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute? If you're here today, and and even as I'm preaching, something is beginning to stir on the inside because you know there's a promise. You already know that God's given you a word, and yet you've shelved it. You've put it to one side. But you've begun to reason your way out of it. 
But even as I'm speaking, you're beginning to feel it coming back to life. It's even beginning to pulsate, even in your own heart, this dream or this word that you put to one side. Or, or even today, even as I'm speaking, you realize, you know what, there's an area of my life where I've settled. And I've said, you know what, this is good enough. This, 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 will, this will do. You know, it's not too bad. I can't complain about it. And yet you know that you've settled for something less than what God actually has for your life. And even right now, you feel like, you know what, I'm settling for a lifetime and actually something that was only ever meant to be a season. I don't want to settle anymore. I want to begin to act in faith. Then just right where you are with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you raise your hand and say, Dan, that's me. Would you pray for me? Would you include me? Just lift your hand. I want to pray for you right now. I'm going to pray for all of us, but I want to pray for you specifically. That's it. Father, I thank you today for every single person who's lifted their hand, God, boldly. Lord, not before me, but Lord, before you, saying, God, you know this is me. God, you know that I've settled in this area, that God, I've shelved this dream and desire. But God, even right now, by your spirit, you begin to breathe again upon it. That God, you are the God who gives us brand new beginnings. That you are the God who's able to make dry bones live. That you are the God who is able to resurrect the dead. And so God, we ask that Lord, you begin to move by your spirit even right now. That God, this house would be a place where faith rises. That God, in every service we're in, that faith would rise. That every time we open in the Bible that Lord faith would rise that God every time we worship and we're on our own that God faith would rise that in the same way that when the tide comes in all the boats in the harbor come up Lord in the same way I pray let faith begin to rise even right now in this church meeting that God we begin to see and behold you again that God we begin to change our focus and begin to set our sights that God we begin to prepare in faith that God we begin to lean in and say God I'm going to give myself wholly and totally to this new thing that you want to do God unreserved Lord, I thank you right now. And Lord, I prophesy, God, in the days, weeks, months, and years ahead, that God, we would see your faithfulness display. God, where it actually has very little to do. It has very little to do with us. It has everything to do with your kindness. God, I pray, display your power and glory in the most outstanding and astonishing ways. That God, we would look back on it and say, that was God. He was faithful. In Jesus' name. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed, we're going to finish in just a moment. But before we do, I want to give every person who's here today a chance to be able to respond. Not to me, but to God. I want to ask you one question. I actually believe it's the most important question a person can ever be asked. I want to ask you today, are you right with God? I don't mean do you pray sometimes. I don't mean do you consider yourself to be a spiritual person. I don't mean were you christened as a child. What I really mean is this. Has there ever been a moment in your life when you stopped and you asked for God's forgiveness and you invited Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life? You might be in this room today and maybe you've been to church lots before. Maybe today's your first time in church. Maybe you're watching at home, you're online and, and you've just tuned in today. And as you think about it, you'd say to yourself, do you know what? There's never actually been a moment like that for me. Maybe you've been to church before, but there's never actually been a moment when you've stopped and you've asked for God's forgiveness and you've invited Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. If that's you, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you just to lift up your hand. I'll see it, I'll acknowledge it, and then you can put it down again. But you're just saying, Daniel, that's me. I'm not right with God, but would you pray with me? There might be other people who are in this room today, and even as you're thinking about it, you'd say, do you know what? I prayed a prayer like that a long time ago, but I know in my own heart I've walked away from God. You know, the funny thing is, we don't need someone to point out to us when we're not right with God. We kind of instinctively know it in our own heart, don't we? So maybe you're here and you're saying, do you know what, Daniel, I need to rededicate my life to the Lord. I know that. And so if you're in this room, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand. I'll see it and acknowledge it, and you can put it down. 
If you're online, then you can respond right where you are too. We're going to pray in just a minute. But if that's you right now, you're not right with God, but you want to be. Just right now with every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you just lift your hand? Thank you so much. I see your hand. Somebody else here today saying, Daniel, that's me. I'm not right with God. Thank you. I see your hand today too. Somebody else would say, Daniel, that's me. I'm not right with God, but would you pray with me? Thank you. Sir, I see your hand. And just here in the middle as well, I see your hand too. You say, Daniel, that's me. I don't want to labor this point. I don't want to take too long, but I know how important this is. So maybe there's one more person who's thinking, man, I wish this guy would hurry up. So you were worth waiting for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, everybody who lifted their hand, just while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, just for a minute. Would you just lift it one more time, but look up at me. I just want to see you. Right here. Right here. And right here, sir. And right there. And right here as well. Here's what we're going to do. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, that in that moment, you're saved. The Bible says it's actually as simple as praying a prayer. You don't have to climb a lot of steps. You don't have to walk over hot coals. You just have to pray a prayer. And I don't know whether you've ever prayed before, so to make this really simple, I'm going to pray the first part of this prayer, and I'm going to get you to repeat it after me. In fact, I'm going to get the whole church to pray this prayer with us. And today, as you both say these words, but believe them with your heart, we're going to believe that's exactly what's going to happen in your life too. If you're joining us online, you can do the exact same thing. You can pray along. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Would you pray with us today with those that have lifted their hands? Pray this out loud. Pray, dear Jesus, I come to you today, and I realize that I need you. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all of my mistakes. Jesus, wash my heart completely clean. Jesus, I thank you that you love me, that you proved it, that you died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, from this morning on, I want to live for you. I want to be a Christian all of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and change my life. In Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net. Or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.